Welcome, listeners, to a brand new bonus episode of Oh My Word podcast, for which the bonus episodes we interview all kinds of people from the book world, from writers to illustrators to booksellers to librarians, agents, editors, etc. Make sure you subscribe so you get all the instant notifications of new new episodes. And for this episode, we have a very special guest because we've got Gina D'Amico, who is an author. Gina, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. We are very glad to have you. Gina has many, many books, but the, the one book that I first found out about Gina from is a book called Croak. It's actually one of a series. It's a trilogy. It's dark and funny at the same time because it's like the Grim Reaper, but it also the humor is just so out there. But even before we get started on now, how on earth do you even get into all this? Did you always want to be a writer or one day you woke up, you're like, I'm going to write a book. I will do this. <laughs> It was a long meandering path, but basically I was a big book nerd when I was a kid. I was a huge reader. I just read everything. It was all I was ever doing. And I never actually loved writing when I was a kid. I did like little stuff when I was little, but when I got into high school, I really didn't enjoy English. I mean, I liked the classes and I loved reading, obviously, but I didn't love writing about it. Any writing I did in high school was all very just, you know, like essays and stuff. And I never took any creative writing classes in high school, so I never got into it. But I was also a big theater nerd, and I did tons and tons of theater. So when I got to college, I joined a murder mystery comedy improv crew, completely student-run, and we wrote, produced, directed, costumed set for these murder mysteries. And this was kind of before this became a really big thing, but it was set in a mansion and all the scenes took place simultaneously. It was very immersive. And then when all these things actually started happening in real, like in the world, I was like, we did that. We used to do that in college. But we wrote these very wild murder mysteries with huge over-the-top characters because you have to write very over-the-top memorable characters because when it comes time to guess the murderer, you have to keep them all separate and remember who they all were. So they all have to be very memorable. <laughs> so, right. so anyway, I started writing for that I had originally joined because I was like oh I can act and I can be a ridiculous pirate or a ridiculous monkey played all these parts in these shows but I was like yeah but I don't have really any interest in writing I just want to act but then I kind of fell into writing for this group and I loved it and I loved being funny that was because I've always been kind of a funny character in all the musicals I was in so I just kind of really fell in love with that and then I graduated from college and immediately stopped writing because you can't make money or a career out of writing of course you can't so I stopped (laughs) but then inevitably I went into the lucrative world of temping and I was at a very boring office job one day and I just kind of started writing a book out of nowhere and that book is not (laughs) croak that book is my first book which I would prefer to just put in a fire and burn it (laughs) until it no longer exists it was very bad (laughs) but that's kind of what started my bug again to get back into it and so the next book I wrote (laughs) was what would become Croak and yeah I just kind of went from there and I managed to get an agent through a weird kind of fluke meeting and off to the races wow okay follow-up questions now everyone sort of like the murder mystery a thing that which you're a part of, which sounds like so much fun. Is that kind of like, you know, on Broadway, or I don't know if it's off-Broadway, they have the mystery of Edwin Drood. Is it sort of like that? Are you familiar with that? Is that like an immersive, is this a new one? I'm most familiar with Sleep No More, which was the okay. Macbeth one. Yeah. I don't know about, is this a new one? I think it's just lesser known, but yeah. what they do is at the end, the audience chooses who the murderer is. Oh, so, fun. Yeah, they always do this through the same thing, and then they're like, which one do you think the murderer is? And then according to the audience reaction, that's who the murderer is, and each one is prepared to do their monologue oh, if they're going to be chosen as the middle. It's great. I okay. love that kind of stuff. So I guess it's kind of like that, but not totally like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah cool. 
So go back to English for a second. They said like you're never into writing and stuff. Were you yeah. also... I'm going to say also because for me, English class, there was another girl who considered the better writer. I didn't have the patience for it. I would turn in my essays with maybe I would proof them once, maybe yeah. twice, because I was just like, I don't have patience for this. And then usually the grade, I would get off for the writing, but because if I got the ideas right, you know, I could still skate behind the good grades, but I didn't have the patience for writing as a high schooler. I don't know, yeah. were you kind of like that also? Yeah, because I just didn't find any of the stuff I was writing to be interesting. As much as a theater person as I was, I honestly was never super into Shakespeare. <laughs> oh my god, I hated history. Like, I really just hated anything <laughs> social studies related. And I just hated writing those. And just the structure of term papers and the dryness of it. And I'm sure there's, obviously because there are some wonderful nonfiction writers who can yeah. make this stuff come alive and do that well. I was not one of those people it's just not my writing I didn't like it so like I always tell you know when I talk to teenagers and they're like I don't like writing and it's like well you may be interested in fine you know it, high school is wonderful for some things and not always great for other things yeah and also it depends on the school and obviously the classes that are offered but you got to find your, your happy place and yeah. you gotta find the thing that really grabs you and because it, it will always show in your writing like if you hate what you're writing about it will sound terrible <laughs> and if you love it you know the passion will kind of just jump up off the page and it'll sparkle and magic and unicorns and all that stuff so that's how I feel about that. I also like, this is kind of a weird thing for a writer to say, but I'm not as into talking about books all the time as I am about just reading them and kind of letting them marinate okay. in my own head. I've never even actually been like in a book club or anything just because I don't always love to just share my feelings on books. I like to keep them in my own noggin. So that was never actually very helpful for English class either when you're all you're supposed to do is offer your thoughts on books. Yeah, that's funny. Like I want my book to stay in my quiet place. I don't want to talk to you about it. Yeah, this comes up a lot now even in my adult life. But when you really love a book, like yeah. really love it, part of you wants to just talk about it all the time with everyone. But part of me is always just like, but if someone says they don't like it, it's going to like tarnish <laughs> my love. I guess I'm so susceptible to stuff like that that I'm just like, oh, I don't, don't hurt my baby. I love it too much. <laughs> there will be no dark clouds in my happy place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. It's also going back also that you're saying that, you know, when you love something, it'll show in your writing. That's also part of what they try to warn about with taking on projects that you don't necessarily believe in or are into. Because eventually you just come to resent it or hate it and then you're not going to be good at it. Not because you don't have the talent for it, but because you're not into it also kind of. Exactly. Yeah, I've come up on that, across that a couple times. Or even with my own projects, stuff that I've was in love with at one point, but I put aside and then came back to you and I'm like, oh, I hate this now. I don't even want to look at it. Go back into your dark corner, my neglected child, and maybe yeah. I'll come back to you one day or maybe you'll just starve and die. That sometimes also happens with, like you said, like the first book you wrote. You can be so into it and while you're writing it's everything so perfect, then by the time you're on your next book or your one book better of a writer, you look back and you're like, I wrote like that? Yeah. I don't write like that. Even your first book that's actually published to a second, third, fourth book that's published, you're like, oh, I'm like, I love the story, but I wrote like that. Definitely. I think that happens the minute you hit send off to the editor for the last time. And it's like, oh, oh no, I hate everything. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the, the only good part about it is the improvement factor. The more you're going to do it, you really will get better at it. Yeah. Like, you just keep it, so... Yeah, that's our positive message for today. Yeah. yeah. Keep sucking for a really long time. <laughs> yeah. One day you might not suck as much. My beginning years of getting into writing, someone's told me, look, we've all got a bunch of bad stories in us. So get them all out in the beginning and then yeah. you can move on with your life. And I'm like, I don't want to hear that. I'm working on something now. How do I know if this is one of my bad ones? I don't want to be a bad one. Yeah, exactly.
Exactly. Yeah. And then just, I don't have much detail if you want to or whatever about, but you said it was kind of like a, a weird fluke thing with meeting with your agent. Was that, you joined a writing group sort of thing or is it just because knew someone who knew someone and all of a sudden it all came about? This was one of those things where you kind of just get very, very lucky and the universe smiles down upon you. To go back to the terrible, awful book that should not be named, I'd written that and I had queried agents, sent it out. Unbelievably, I sent it out. I didn't believe I had the gall to do that. But of course it got rejected across the board as it should have been. So I was kind of feeling a little meh about that. But in the midst of the wave of rejections is when I started to write Croak. And so when Croak was finished, before I sent it out to agents, I was living in New York at the time and there was a pitch workshop. It wasn't a writing workshop. It wasn't like, here's how to fix your book. It was, here's how to pitch it to editors, agents and all that. And it was like a three-day workshop where you just went and just worked on your pitch. And the bonus of this workshop, at the end of it, you got to pitch it to four actual editors from major publishing houses, which was really cool because if they were interested in it, they would maybe request a full or partial manuscript and kind of maybe it would go somewhere. So I went, I did the pitch, and all of the editors loved it, which was great. But none of them represented YA, which was bad. (laughs) So none of them wanted it because it was like, (sighs) however, on one of those days, an agent just so happened to be sitting in on this pitch because she was kind of on the lookout for new clients and she was just, you know, just sitting in. And at the end of the day, she kind of slipped me her card and she was like, I love it. Uh, Send me the whole thing and we'll be in touch. And so Croak happened to be just what she was kind of looking for. She was looking for like young adult, dark, but funny. And yeah, and then we corresponded. And luckily, she's a very editorial agent. She's very hands-on and very helpful and very big on molding and crafting and working on the story together. So as it was my first novel, it did need so much work. (laughs) And she was very patient and wonderful. And that's how that happened. It was really, yeah, kind of one of a million things. Awesome. Amazing. And then did you choose the YA category? Did it kind of choose you or like, how did that happen? Yeah, you know, it kind of chose me. My first, I hate to keep going back to this first novel, because, you know, origin stories, etc. That one was kind of a mix between YA and adult. I guess now it would be classified. I don't even know what it would be classified as. I kind of jumped back and forth. But then I think it chose me. I didn't set out to be like, I'm going to write for teenagers. Right. Like, it just so happened that like the characters popped into my head and that's who they were. And just the idea of a 16-year-old girl kind of was just there. And so I was like, well, okay, this is what we're doing. So when Crow came out, it was kind of at the time that YA was really exploding. It was kind of right after all of Twilight had exploded and just, it was really, the whole category was really expanding. So it just kind of fell into that and I just kind of got swept along the wave. Yeah, so that's where that came from. Were you reading, do you now read a lot of YA or just because the character came I really At the time I was, I okay. read a little less now just because it got a little saturated in my world like it was just a little too much and I needed to adult it back up a little bit not in that way yeah. <laughs> but yeah I, I try and read a mix middle grade too I really like middle grade so yeah I, now I, I really try and do a big good mix of stuff but definitely not as as much as I was back in the day but this book came out 12-ish years ago at this point oh, well, wow. no 10 years ago so I was a little bit more of a young adult then so not as much anymore yeah Proke is the one that I read and I got Scorch sitting right in front of my big TBR stack that's teetering over a little bit yep. but I've seen that all of your books or it seems like a lot of your books do have either like the deafness or the demoness very like darkness to them so yeah. like, where is that coming from I don't know how much detail I want on that actually where is that coming from well, this is the same question I always get from my mother she's always like did we do something to you that you didn't tell us about are you okay she's like no I had a lovely child I wonder if that's why like I had a pretty 
happy life. But I think what I like to write about always usually comes more from the humor side. I like to first think about what is funny. And then I think darkness counteracts funny so well. Like there's just something inherently hilarious to me about like funny Grim Reapers. It's just like <laughs> take darkest thing you can think of and like add a lot of humor. Right. Jazz hands. Make it a teenager. Boom. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so I think that's kind of where it comes from. I think it's just a natural, fun place to play around in. This weird, dark, funny stuff. Yeah, and then like my after the Kirk trilogy came Hellhole, which is about the devil and but funny. And so I think it all comes back to that. I think it's just kind of a weird sense of humor that I just, and I'm sure the murder mystery origins didn't hurt. <laughs> right. That is certainly in my DNA too. So. Right. And I don't know about the other ones, but I see in this one specifically, you keep it away from a lot of religious, like you're not even going into what may or may not be true from religious doctrine or is there a God after this? They won't tell us. You keep it very away from that. Like, let's just focus on having the fun in this crazy kind of world sort of thing. Yeah. And that's definitely by design because I just, I don't know. I'm going to say I know the answer to everything. And so the characters in the book, even though they kind of skirt around the edges of life and the afterlife, they don't know either. They're still human. And some of them have been beyond and back, but even beyond, how many answers? can you really get the farthest i go into like knowing something beyond is okay well in this version of the world there's an afterlife or in hellhole like okay well in this version of the world there are devils but they're right. not like catholic devils no they're not like satan as described in the bible <laughs> it's right. just a devil and there are many so i definitely take liberties with what i kind of think might be interesting for these worlds but yeah i mean i'm not touching that with a million foot pole of being like this is the correct religion it turns out i had to say the funniest oh we should actually okay after this we'll describe kind of like what the series about now they're making so much reference to it but i think the funniest line in the entire book is i think it's president william mckinley in the boxer shorts i was just like what mind put these two together <laughs> Well, you know, presidential humor is always kind of like <laughs> Yeah. In general, those scenes in the, you know, as much of the afterlife they see and the Wright brothers are crashing their airplane. That is just, I don't know, for me, even with all the darkness that's in the book and all that kind of stuff, and this is just my own personal censorment, it just felt like you were just, let's have fun! I don't know if that's yeah. what it was, but it felt so much like that. Yeah, I mean, and I told it earlier, I hated history. <laughs> this is the way to make history interesting to me, right? <laughs> make these, all these presidents, like, you know, and, and historical figures, just kind of buffoons who are just like, finally let go of their earthly responsibilities. They're just kind of let free in a massive, endless forever playground yeah. is what my version of the afterlife is i hope i hope that's it so yeah they all just kind of turn into little kids in a candy store and just want to have fun <laughs> well let's yeah. give a quick synopsis specifically croak what's the croak series about what's croak about Broke is about a 16-year-old girl named Lex who is having a lot of kind of troubles at home. She's just has a lot of rage and dark feelings and doesn't really know where to go with them or what to do with them. And it's kind of manifesting in violence at school. So her parents decide to send her to live with her Uncle Mort for the summer, who lives on a farm in upstate New York. But as it turns out, he does not live on a farm. He lives in this small town nestled in the Adirondacks called Croak. And Croak is populated entirely by Grim Reapers. And Lex is brought on as a junior, which means that she has a junior Grim Reaper in training with other teenagers who also come from troubled lives and who are looking for something bigger and with more purpose here in Croak. 
and they are becoming Grim Reapers. And then the trilogy goes from there. Complications ensue, and there's something not quite right. People are dying before their time, and so there's a bit of a mystery, and then it all kind of expands into a larger issue within the Grim Sphere, which is what their world is called, and it all kind of goes from there. And Edgar Allan Poe is there, too. <laughs> yeah. How much of it could just naturally photo, or how much did you actually go looking for it? Because Croak is obviously a death reference. Uncle Mort, obviously a death. Main Street is dead in lane, or whatever it's called. Like, all of them are so... Yes, you've detected my love for puns. Well then, I love wordplay. You know, I do crossword puzzles. What do you want? Yeah. <laughs> I'm one of those people. I love sticking those little things in. As the trilogy goes on, there's even more. I mean, it's just, I can't help myself. <laughs> sorry. Not sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, okay, there's one interesting aspect, which just bringing up the discussion that you have within all the fun and games and everybody being crazy teenagers and whatever, within it all, you do have this point about when Lex is going, she's got to collect someone's soul or essence or whatever it is. And then it's in a moment of let's say a murder or something like that and so she can actually see who the murderer is because that's the point of death so it's not even well did she actually see it happen whatever it cannot be anybody else she's very we should just go after these people and like everyone's no no we can't mess with the system whatever i don't know if you just kind of put in there to give her some sort of whatever we're like here's something to think about what if there was the green reaper who could actually do this kind of stuff would this be something to actually think about yeah, certainly what I wanted to do is not just write like a fun story about criminal reapers with no consequences and no qualms. It's way more fun to layer on these kind of moral questions and be like, well, and especially since Lex has these darker inclinations, but is in essence a good person. She's not evil, but she does have these kind of darker and slightly revengey kind of feelings that for her, she questions everything. And certainly that can apply to everyone in the world at large. So how much are we willing to go along with what the system is versus where's the line where we actually book the system and try and do something maybe bad, but for the greater good? And I'm not saying that's even the right choice. It's just definitely something that it's a questions that come up and it's just interesting to think about like what would you do? Yeah. You like ambushed us with like a thought nugget in the middle of yeah. this fun zany kind of story. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Fine. Making us think. Okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Who has time for it anymore? <laughs> okay. I gotta ask. Okay. This is a spoiler question because okay. Big spoiler for anybody that you skip the next two minutes or pretend like you're not listening and then you agree to listen. I may have seen because I do this to myself. I think at the end of the third book you kind of Lex exits as a character. Is that accurate? Yes. You probably got reaction from people who are like, oh, this is great. And some people are like, oh, this sucks or whatever. Just from your own viewpoint, did you kind of know this was going to happen? Did you just bring yourself to a point where like this was the only option? Do you have any qualms about having done that or anything like that? <laughs> I pretty much always knew that was how it was going to end. These circumstances changed a little around how, but yeah, I think it was... The sort of thing where, for me, it couldn't have ended any other way. I don't know how much how much you want me to be spoilery. Yeah, well, because I sort of do this for myself at some time. I'm like, oh, it took me a while to get to the end of the trilogy. Let me just see what happens so that I kind of know what it is. Then I saw it. I was like, oh, wait, I really ruined it for myself. Whoopsies. <laughs> but I'm asking also because some people are like, why couldn't you just be in, like, the Eternity Playground? Like, why couldn't mm -hmm. they figure that out or that or whatever? Because also when Divergent came out and there was a whole controversy there because Veronica Roth, she offed her character and people were very upset about it. And I think the setup of it was kind of like it could have been done a little bit better, but she had this whole defense of, for me, the journey was over. So she's out. When you read that as a writer, you're like, yeah, I can't argue with that. That's her character. She feels the journey's over. It's over. So that's always a curious, interesting thing, because sometimes as writers, like, our characters will never die, but yours did. So yeah. <laughs> that's like, you know. Well, not to go into the particulars of it, but basically, she's not quite 
I left it in a little bit of a gray area, and okay. there's a little bit of possibly a happy ending in there deep. Okay. <laughs> you really got to see it, and I definitely have gotten emails from distraught readers who are like, but but this does happen, right? <laughs> the happy part of it does end up happening, right? And I'm yeah. like, well, that's up to you to decide. If you want it, I left it ambiguous because I do sometimes like these stories that end in a way that it is completely up to the reader to decide whether it was at heart a happy ending or a dismal, terrible, or, you know, horrible ending. So I like the idea of whatever kind of reader you are, then that's what you get to choose your own adventure. You can pick one or the other. I'm not going to tell you which one to pick. Like, you can do it from there. You've been with these characters for three books. If you love them and you want them to be happy, then do this. You are sometimes like me and love, you know, burn it all down. Everyone does. I Sometimes I love those endings. I think this is, sometimes they're just like, wow, damn, they went there. Right. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of where I came from with that is that it's up to you. You know what? I don't like those stories. <laughs> <laughs> I can't make this decision. <laughs> but that's actually interesting. So are you not necessarily particular, especially in YA, where it's often, no matter what happens, the YA ending has to be a hope-filled mm-hmm. kind of ending. So do you not necessarily agree with it? It's like, well, the story's just going to end whatever the story asks for. And I don't have to have the hope-filled ending or something like that. I would say that across the board, all the endings in my books are bittersweet. I think that there is a, again, without being too spoilery, for all of my books, there's been a, oh, yay, that's great. Oh, but they have to do this forever. Oh, God, they have to do this forever. But there's this little bit of happiness, too. In order for their lives to one beat, they be good, then they have to do this awful thing. So I just think that's a little more realistic to life. Personally, this may not surprise you, given the darkness of all my stuff, but I don't always love the happiest of endings where everything's tied up in a bow. I like the ones where it's oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, they're happy, but oh, there's also this. So, yeah. Yeah. It's like, at what point are you supposed to tell a kid, maybe not a kid or a teenager, that we want your life to be perfect. We want everything to go beautifully for you, but it probably won't. And that's okay. Yeah. We have to learn to adjust it. And that's when we order our priorities. We order our whatever and we do the best we can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. I mean, let's put yeah. it this way. I wouldn't end a picture book with this one. <laughs> you know, like, okay, good. you know, the very hungry caterpillar died a terrible death. <laughs> <laughs> butterfly was a butterfly, but did he live? Did he immediately get hurt? I don't know. Yeah. And by the way, a butterfly's life span is only whatever yeah. so yeah <laughs> keep that in mind child yeah at least he got his cupcake on day six yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> yes exactly. oh okay and then i also have to ask so you kind of go all out with language in the book but i know in the first book you stop yourself very short of dropping an f-bomb was that <laughs> yes. was that you or was that your agent editor someone said look as soon as you do this you cross a line of yes. either school library this or whatever so just go around it So, a couple things are in play there. I am not a prude when it comes to swearing. I do believe in judicious swearing. Okay. (laughs) And if you're going to use an F-bomb, it's going to matter. Like, it's going to be at a point where nothing else will do and where it's going to pack a heck of a punch. So, also, my first book, I want to just be dropping the F-bombs everywhere. And there's still kind of... The kids in the book, they haven't seen a lot yet. She hasn't gone down yet. starting to, but they're not quite there yet. So, it didn't require it. Let's put it that way in the first book. The second book, I believe there is one. And I think in the third book, there are maybe two or three. But because of what I just said, I really do believe if you're going to use it, you got to use it well. So they are at moments where it's like, yeah, okay, I can see it. Because that's the other thing is kids do swear, but you don't want to just like match 
whatever the amount. <laughs> never been quite like a bean counter in terms of yeah. swear pants. I think you always have different viewpoints of let's talk to kids the way they talk and tell people like, no, 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 let's try to raise the bar for the kids. You know, mm -hmm. just whatever the writer's sense of it is. But you have Lex and Dre's or whoever, they're all bantering with each other and you have moms like that. They sound like such teens. Were you sitting and listening to teens? That come naturally to you? Should we worry about you? I think I just never aged out of being a teen myself. <laughs> I think I think I'm still there. Whenever I look at my actual age, I'm like, that's a clerical error. I'm still solidly 16. You're right. <laughs> Until you see 16-year-olds and you're like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't yeah. think I'm 16. Yeah. <laughs> I guess also if you're not putting limitations, you're just like, let's just have fun with it. You could end up hitting a lot of notes that if you're being more like, no, we must always make sure to, you know, X, Y, and Z, then you're not going to be able to, to hit certain notes I guess with it. But that makes yeah. sense. Just to get a sneak peek, sort of. Are you working on any other projects and are they also all demon death centered right now? Or are you secretly working on a romance? <laughs> Not secretly working on a romance. <laughs> As you can probably tell in Croak and through my other books, romance is either, in my writing, either non-existent or very awkward. <laughs> yes. To me, writing romance is writing it as realistically as possible from my point of view, which is just awkward. <laughs> and I'm married. <laughs> it's something it all, all worked out in the end, but like for me when I was a teenager, just awkward from here to there. Right now I'm working on a couple things, mostly over the last couple of years I was working on, I had a child and that takes up, as it turns out, all of my waking hours. So, and especially with the pandemic, it's just been a real, let's say, journey on trying to figure out where to get time and, you know, have time to write and do all that. So it's kind of been slow going for a little while, but I'm finally starting to get back into the group of things. And yeah, I'm working on a couple of things, but they're way too early to kind of talk about yet. But yes, it's still dark and kind of otherworldly and but also funny and you know a little bit of theater thrown in because I can't help myself so yes it's all in the same universe I yeah cool okay two questions before we wrap up one is I think you sort of kind of gave the answer just now but even today when you're writing and all that sort of stuff would you say that your origins of theater and the improv and all that kind of the murder mysteries sort of thing does that still kind of influence you or you're on sort of like a different path now as a writer does that make sense yeah, I would say theater is still pretty much very baked into what I do. I think theater teaches you to write these memorable characters, specifically musical theater. When you think about characters in a musical, they're wacky and you would never want to meet them in real life because they're just like, oh my gosh, they're too much, they're extra. But that's how they have to play from the stage. You know, they have to fill the theater with their personality and you have to remember them and keep them all, keep track of them. And they each have their own different songs and each song has its own personality. And so my favorite thing is just writing dialogue and characters. The plot is fun and I like putting plots together because they're like a puzzle and I like puzzles as we already <laughs> But for me, it always comes back to to the characters and the dialogue and I think just by nature of how theater is done and constructed and when you read the script it's just characters and dialogue that's all there yeah. is at its core and of course the setting and plot and all that but yeah I think that's definitely where it all came from and where it's all going to yeah. all philosophical <laughs> yeah and I gotta ask the other question now that you've actually got a kid of your own kids getting older whatever gonna become a teenager are you gonna be hiding your books from your kid when they're older <laughs> like sure you oh. can read what mommy wrote no I think I'm gonna probably be pushing him into his hand our house is in huge danger of just falling into a sinkhole under the weight of all the books we have. It's ridiculous. Oh, man. Like kids' books. You know when you go to the store and you're like, oh, I shouldn't buy that. I shouldn't buy that. I, we, I don't want to spend too much money. But if it's books, I'm like, oh, pile 10 on and I don't even look at the price. I just buy books for him. I don't even buy books for myself at that rate. Yeah. We have so many books and he loves or loved reading. He loved reading up until like two weeks ago and now he's just yelling no at every book. But I think that's just his two-year-old 
self, yeah. not his reader self. Yeah, so I, my favorite books that we have for him are the ones that are super dark. Like, there's a book, it's, I forgot who read it, it's illustrated by John Classic, but it's The Wolf, the Goose, and the Mouse, and it's about a goose and a mouse that live in the belly of a wolf, <laughs> and they're just trying to make the best of it after he eats them. Like, wow. that's so dark and wonderful, <laughs> I love it. So yeah, I fully intend on extending that into the next generation. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of people say that they became readers because either their parents modeled it, the parents brought them to the library, and all that kind of stuff, so. Yeah. Yes. As soon as things started opening up again, the library was the first place we went, and I was like, oh my god, this is what has been missing from the first year and a half of your life. <laughs> you're like, ma'am, please stop hugging the bookcases. Yeah, you are embarrassing yourself. You're like, it's okay. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, all because we have to. So our wrap-up is always the fill-in-the-blank of, I love it when writers, stories, editors, agents, whatever, series, even, do X, and I really don't like it. When any one of those, you know, could choose anyone for either one, do X. How would you fill in the blank for that? So for I really love it, man. I'm going to go back to what I was saying about my agent. She is very hands-on and very helpful and really gets in there and cares about the characters and pushes back on things that aren't quite working and is a huge cheerleader of things that are. You know, I have other writer friends and I think that some agents are like that and then some are just there to do like the transactional like, okay, well, thanks for the book. I'll pass it on and sell it. And I think it's invaluable and it has been to me at least in my career to have one who's so hands-on and helpful and devoted, I guess is the word to the writing that I'm yeah. doing. Amazing. And what would you say for I really don't like? I have a real big pet. <laughs> okay, yeah. And this is across the board, books, movies, TV, any story, with the caveat that sometimes I understand that it's necessary, but I cannot stand dream sequences or drug trips. Oh. And nothing makes sense, and it's all very just, like, mushroomy and confusing and, you know, psychedelic. My skin crawls when I read them, and I cannot wait. I sometimes fast forward. I don't know why, but they drive me absolutely insane. <laughs> That's interesting. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I love some things that have, it's less a dream sequence, you know, if it ties to the plot, then okay, but it's really more the trippy things where it's just, here's what it's like to be absolutely high, and it's like, no, please bring me back to the real world, I can't stand it. So, <laughs> you did not fast forward through the entire Inception. Well, you know what, the problem with Inception is that it was like a puzzle. So they caught you <laughs> on that one. That's what got me. Kudos to you, mister. If we're going to trick you into one of those, we have to trick you with something else that you love. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta hide a crossword puzzle in the center of that dream sequence. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm in. Uh, duly noted. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is so thank much you. fun. Thank you. This was a blast. This was a bonus episode of Oh My Word podcast featuring author Gina D'Amico. To find out more about Gina and her work, please check out the link in the episode notes. To find out more about Oh My Word podcast, keep track of all the great stuff we're up to, check us out on Instagram at Oh My Word podcast or at el10ml.com. Music is by Tim Burke. Thanks so much for joining us. Catch you next time.